You are listening to a pleasure podcast. For more from our sex podcast collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com. Hey, I'm Molly Stewart, and you're listening to Holly Randall Unfiltered, sponsored by Twisties. Twisties is a leading glamour porn site for exclusively lesbian and girl-girl content. Since starting my journey with Twisties, I have shot some incredible scenes with some of the best girls, making some truly amazing fantasies come to life. For 18 years, they have featured the biggest names in the industry, recently rebranding to exclusively female content. Twisties stays focused on raising the bar of what modern porn looks like, while highlighting the up-and-coming talent of our generation. Their Treats of the Month and now Treat of the Year give viewers a taste of what their favorite girls are like under the wrapper. My journey since being their Treat of the Month in January of 2018 has been incredible, and I can't wait to see what they have in store for the future. To unwrap the hottest treats and mouth-watering scenes, visit twisties.com and find them on Twitter at Twisties and Instagram at Twisties Treats. Hi, I'm Holly Randall. And welcome to my podcast, Holly Randall Unfiltered. This is a show about sex, the adult industry, and the people in it. I'm a 21-year veteran of this fascinating little industry. And as the eldest child of the trailblazing erotic photographer, Suze Randall, you could say I grew up in it. So forget everything you think you know about porn, because this show is going to change your mind. My guests are some of the biggest names in the industry, and we unabashedly reveal the real behind-the-scenes stories. The funny, the inspiring, the tragic, and the bizarre. Everyone has an opinion about sex work, but few people actually listen to the sex workers. So sit back and prepare yourself for a podcast, which is honest, raw, and unfiltered. Today, my guest is award-winning webcam model Mary Moody. Mary walks me through the mysterious world, well, to me at least, of camming and the multitude of ways that sex work has improved her life. She's very much an open book, and she very honestly reveals her struggles with sobriety, mental health, and more recently, ADHD. And if you follow Mary on social media, you know she's very passionate about advocating for sex worker rights and why she feels the recent actions of Visa and MasterCard pulling their payment processing from Pornhub is something that not only negatively affects sex workers, but also demonstrates the frightening rise in power that the religious right extremists have been exercising against the adult industry. So let's welcome Mary Moody to Holly Randall Unfiltered. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Holly Randall Unfiltered. Today, I have webcam model, penthouse pet, and uh, sex work advocate, Mary Moody. Hi, Mary. How are you? Hi, I'm good. And I'm I'm actually a little nervous because I have been listening to your podcast for like three years, two years. Oh, so you know how terrible I am at this. Okay, good. No, I actually love it. Like out of all the industry related podcasts, I think yours is the only one where I've listened to more than one episode. Wow. So you've listened to two. <laughs> no, I think I've honestly listened. I did like the Nicolette Shea one, uh, Angela White I loved. I think I listened to Ivy Wolf, like just off the top of my head. I remember those right away. Thank I think you. Nicole Aniston did one, right? She's done two, two or three. It depends on... Um, I did a couple of live versions, like when quarantine first hit and she did a live version with me as well. So yeah, it kind of depends on, um, it depends on what you consider to be a podcast. Cause that one was exclusive to my YouTube channel, which is at youtube.com slash Holly Randall unfiltered in case you're listening to this on the audio platform. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, it's all about my guest and, uh, there's definitely some episodes that one could skip. But um, <laughs> most of them are really great just because I'm so fortunate to have amazing people on my show, such as yourself. So thank you so much for making the time today. No, thank you for inviting me. I'm like, oh, no, big, big deal podcast. Oh, that's that's OK. Um, as you <laughs> could tell from how flustered I was before we started, it is uh, pretty casual and low key and I'm terribly unprepared and absolutely exhausted and uh yeah. So now that I've lowered your expectations for how this episode is going to go, <laughs> hopefully you're more comfortable. <laughs> 
So one disturbing thing that I learned about Mary before we started is that she has never seen Beetlejuice. And apparently this is an example of like how sheltered her childhood was. Cause she says she'd never saw it because she was so sheltered. And um, so I guess let's start there because <laughs> I still like, cannot believe that you've never seen Beetlejuice. And um, oh. it sounds like it, you know, kind of is a, gives us an idea of what your Beetlejuice less childhood was like. So tell us a little bit about, how you grew up and maybe how you got into the adult industry and how different your life is now from the way it used to be. Sure. So I always kind of joke, like don't shelter your kids unnecessarily because they're just going to become porn stars. Like it's going to backfire. <laughs> but, um, I was just like super sheltered for like media. Like I made a MySpace account when I was, I think 13. And that was like, I got in so much trouble. Like there is, there is yelling involved about the MySpace account. Uh, wow. I didn't delete it though. I think I refused. I, were, I probably made another one. <laughs> so I was very determined to, you know, explore everything I wanted. And I think I've, I've kind of always been that way where if I want to try something, like I'm just, I'm going to try it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I found like my story, my origin story for how I found webcam modeling isn't like that interesting. I just, for years, I would Google like how to make money at home are there any businesses I can run myself? Like, is there something I can do to work for myself and not other people like without, you know, a bunch of startup money and sex work and webcam modeling always came up in those searches. Mm. And this is pre OnlyFans. Like now everyone knows what OnlyFans was, Mm -hmm. but back then I didn't know a single person who talked about camming. Like I had no idea it existed. And then I just found it online. um, And I, secretly researched for a few years like just casually like oh, i'm just reading this for fun like i'm never gonna do it um and then of course uh i was 23 at the time um and i wanted to uh break up with my current husband i'm divorced now um and i was like i am gonna start camming as soon as i leave and then i will have a new career to do <laughs> so my origin story isn't like super interesting because i literally just googled it and was like i can do this job i'm gonna try it um but yeah, that's it. I've always just, if I want to try something, like I can't get out of my head. So what, I mean, what kind of pushed you to try it? Because, you know, starting to do sex work online is a little different than like selling makeup online. You know, if that's like, if you're trying to do like a self starter, um, online business, uh, you know, cause not a lot of people have, have the guts to do that. So what kind of drove you to choose that career? Well, the marriage I was in was kind of shitty and I had like moved around for my husband to go to school. I like didn't have a good job. I was working at like a cafe. Like I didn't have a career going. Mm -hmm. I had been in college previously, but um, my rampant ADHD, (laughs) like I ended up stopping going to college. I didn't finish my bachelor's because, you know, my husband at the time was like, oh, let's move. I'm going to go to school here. So I kind of like was floating through life, just like not doing anything for myself, not building like a future career. I didn't really have anything I was passionate about. Um, But when I read about sex work, it was kind of like an instant click. And I became a little obsessed. Um, And I would read about it all the time at night, just on my phone. And pretty much everything I read about camming or how to make money through sex work online, it just it just clicked. I was like, oh, I'd be great at that. Like, there's no doubt I'd be amazing at that. Um, And then when I finally decided to start I, at first, I only did camming on Chatterbait. I didn't do any other platform for like a few months. I made like a Twitter account, you know, and that was it. Um, but when I started, I just was convinced. I was like, there's there's no option for me to fail at this. And also, I had moved into an apartment and didn't have rent money for like, you know, the month later. So <laughs> when I started camming, it was basically like, I'm going to do this and I am going to be a top chatterbait model, whatever I thought that was at the time. Like mm-hmm. I idolized the models who were, you know, the top cams on chatterbait. And I was just, basically it was like it, there was no option for it not to work out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so then when well, I started, it was just like, you know, full force ahead. Who, who in particular did you look up to when you started? Like who did you want to emulate? Um, oh, I always, my chat room makes fun of me. Cause I will go on rants, not rants, more like loving 
obsession rants about uh, Hannah James 710 on Chatterbait. She still camps there. It's super embarrassing because when I was brand new, I like messaged her and I was like, I want to be you. And now like I've met her and it's super embarrassing. (laughs) (laughs) But my room will be like, stop promoting Hannah again. Because I'll be like, did you guys see (laughs) her camera or like whatever? I just, I think she'd only been camming like a year when I started, but she just like, had these big, crazy rooms, chat rooms full of people. And it was so exciting watching her cam. And I just like idolized her. Um, Another model who she has since changed her stage name and started a music career instead. But at the time on Chatterbait, her name was uh, Cortana Blue. And I don't think she cammed for much longer, maybe a few more years, but her room was just so like low key. Like she was so herself and she would get on cam and like play guitar and like, just talk with her fans like they're regular people. And I just love watching her too. Mm. And now looking back, like they were excellent on Chatterbait, but I was just like obsessed with Chatterbait and I had no idea anything past that. Like I, I didn't, I didn't follow any like pro porn stars. I didn't follow anyone on other platforms. I was just like, this is what I'm going to do. And I'm going to be like, you know, the, the best one on Chatterbait. Mm. You know, the cam world is saying admittedly, I don't really know anything about being like a producer who's really just worked for studios and then like the quote unquote mainstream world and camming has had such an incredibly powerful um, rise in the adult industry, you know, as of late, I mean, you know, my free cams bought AVN and um, it's hilarious that they give themselves an award every year (laughs) at the AVN and the Expos or it just cracks me up because they sponsor both awards and then like surprise campsite of the year is my free camps. Oh my God. How did that happen? I but anyways, <laughs> I guess so. Right. It's like, how, how could you give the award to anyone else? But whatever. I mean, they, they are one of the biggest campsites in the world, which is why they can afford to do that. So what came first, the chicken or the egg? I don't know. <laughs> but um, my point is, is that, you know, cam camming cam girls, all of that has, been such an incredibly powerful force that the adult industry has been forced to, to recognize as a really legitimate part of like the sex work bubble that we all work in. And it's been so interesting to kind of see how all these different kinds of sex work have, have kind of come together and have unified as, as one entity, you know, before there was so much like, Oh, I'm a porn star and I'm an adult model. These are two entirely different things. Don't you mesh us together. I'm a cam girl. That's different. I'm an escort. That's different. Like there was all these little factions and it was almost like, you know, one thought they were better than the other. And, um, I feel like now we've, we've kind of, there's more of a camaraderie and there's more of a unification, which I feel like you see so much now online in terms of advocacy for sex work which I know that you've been um, kind of involved in lately and we'll, and we'll get to that. But my question is like, tell us a little about what it's like to cam. Like, what do you do to keep people entertained? Because I think a lot of people think is like, you just sit on cam and like you masturbate all day. And apparently that's not true. I had Emily Bloom on and she was telling me about all these different things that people do. Some people don't even like take their clothes off. Like they come on and they play guitar, like you said, or they paint or something like that. And it can be this whole show that's so much more beyond just like masturbating in front of a bunch of people. So what are some of the things that like you do to kind of keep your fans entertained? What are your shows like? So, I mean, I, my shows have developed and changed over the years. I've been camming for almost five years in March. It'll be five years. Um, and the sexual shows, obviously those make money. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. if I'm, but honestly, like, if I just get on a masturbate, that doesn't make money building up to a sexual show and having kind of like this game of like tease and deny. And then a final like show is what makes money for me. Right. Um, but I mean, the biggest tips I ever got on cam were not at all during sexual shows. Mm. Like that is not what makes people in my opinion, like makes your fans fall in love with you like long-term mm-hmm. cause the, like a guy will always be like, Oh yeah, I want to jack off. Like I'm going to go see this model and like, you know, tipper, whatever. And then I'm happy and I leave. That's not really like the relationship I'm cultivating in my chat room. Um, and I totally have those guys and they're awesome too. Like they're nice. They tip, they buy my porn. I love it. Um, but the majority of my cam shows, at least like during 2020 and 2021 so far, 
Um, I stand up the whole time, <laughs> no sitting allowed, because if I sit, they will leave my room. And I don't know what the deal is, but like I cannot sit on cam. They're like, oh, that bitch is lazy. I'm out of yeah. here. They're like, I'm leaving. She's not doing anything. Um, so I stand up the whole time. I wear a cute outfit, lingerie, you know, something sexy or cute or it doesn't have to be fancy, but, you know, like cute. Um, and then I just stand there and I talk and I dance. And 99% of my shows are just that. Um, I don't necessarily put up like come show goals or like, you know, the goals where it's like tip this many tokens when we do a come show. I might do one of those once a month, mm. um, but it's always like an option. Like if, you know, if people are tipping a lot or if someone's like, Hey, I, I want to tip for a come show. Like, what do I need to do? It's always like an option, mm-hmm. but the majority of my shows, I stand and I dance and I play music and people do music requests or ask me to twerk to a song. But like most of it is me standing there talking to my chat and keeping the chat busy and going and interesting. How long are your shows generally and how often do you do them? So that's changed over in 2020. That changed a little because I used to cam four days a week, four hours a show minimum. So 16 hours a week in 2020. I slowly started camming less, um, honestly, because OnlyFans took off so much and I have to make sure I'm dedicating the time to the platforms that are making the most money at the moment. Of course. Um, So right now I'm doing three cam shows a week, uh, three to four hours each time. Okay. And so you stand and you dance for like three to four hours. I stand and I just, I have, (laughs) I'm a very fidgety person. So luckily I can stand there and I, I'm not going to stand still at all. Like that's not Mm -hmm. an option. So Mm -hmm. I, I sway a lot. Like I, you know, dance or kind of like do little cute little teases. Um, and I play music and I sing along and talk to my chat. What are the fans like? I know that there's a lot of cam models have talked to who have developed like you know, kind of real kindred friendships with some of their fans um, that there's, you know, been a real connection between them that goes beyond um, just the sexuality of the show. Do you have any relationships like that? Yeah, I'd say, so you have that group of fans, like everyone I feel like has this group of fans that's been there since like day one. Mm-hmm. And I have guys who've watched me since I first started. Um, and I don't know how they can still stand me, but I, I have fans who haven't missed a show in five years. Like, like if they're not there, I'm like, Oh, are they okay? Like, why aren't they here? Or they'll like message me and be like, Hey, I'm going to be late today. Like, because <laughs> I'll worry. Yeah, like, yeah. Or they're like, Hey, I have to, a lot of guys they'll come in and be like, Hey, I'm so sorry. I have to go out with my friends. I just want to say hi. And they'll tip and then like run away. But they're like, I need to check in. Cause like, I'm not there today. Yeah. Um, and I don't know how they're not sick of me. Like I asked them, I'm like, how are you not sick of me at this point? You watch me for five years straight and I don't do anything new. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So yeah, I definitely have like these long-term friendships that are honestly like not super sexual. Like when I do the the sexual shows, they'll watch, but like they never dirty talk me. Mm. Like all my, my core regulars who've been there for years and know me the best, like none of them dirty talk me ever, Mm. Um, but they'll watch the shows. But like, they talk in the talking part. Um, and I have like one who the most he'll say is like, oh, that was beautiful. Like after a come show, he'll be like, that was so beautiful. And I'm like, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> like that's all the dirty talk I need, right? Yeah, it's almost like they feel like it's disrespectful to speak to you in a sexual way because I think that they feel like they know you as like a real person. Yeah, and I mean, I don't think you could watch me for five years and not like get past that superficial Mm-hmm. But they've also seen me like be a total bitch. <laughs> they've mm-hmm. seen me like, I've definitely for a long time, I was like dealing with depression. So I would get on cam and just like eat dinner. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I'm like, this is the maximum energy you get. And those guys watched through all those shows. I was going to ask you like, so if you're having a bad day or you're going through something, do you, do you still do your show? And are you honest with your fans? And do you talk about like realistically how you're feeling and I'm not feeling sexy today. Or do you always feel like, okay, I need to, I am putting on a show. I am a performer. Like I need to suck it up and and be something. I feel like I'm not today. I, I don't know if I'm so sensitive, but I absolutely refuse to do a sexual show if I don't feel good. Mm. Like maybe that's why, like for me, like there's, there's been times when I'll do a come show and like, five hours of camming like every day for a month. Cause I'm just like, I'm energetic and I'm excited and I want the money and you know, like I feel motivated and excited. 
And then there's other times where like, so my, I have some lines. One line is if I will cry, if someone's mean to me, I don't care. Mm -hmm. So I can take like any mean comment because, you know, being a person on the internet, but if I'm in the kind of mood where someone goes like, Oh, you're annoying. Stop talking. And I like want to scream or cry. I don't log on. Mm. And that's because like, you know, I have gone through depression. I've gone through getting sober while I was a streamer. Like there's just ups and downs and it's not really about the fans online. It's just, if I feel so unhappy that I can't have fun the whole time, I literally won't stream. Luckily that's rare. And I, I will tweet like not feeling good today. (laughs) Like I will see you tomorrow. Um, or I'll tweet like weaning off my antidepressant, not going to be online today. You know, whatever the, if it's something I'm willing to share. Right. Cause, uh, like two years ago I got off antidepressants and like my heart was racing all day, like just weird side effects. So like you can't stream. Mm -hmm. So I would just tweet and be like, I'm still weeding off mirtazapine. (laughs) You're not getting a show today. I'm so sorry. And no one's ever complained. Like literally never. Um, Yeah. I think that authenticity makes people, I mean, I think that's why, you know, you, you get the fans that you get and you know, you get people that are really devoted to you because again, like they see you as a real person. And that's been what's changed so much about sex work since the internet era, you know, because back in the 80s, 70s and 80s, 80s specifically and like 90s, you know, it was all about like being that perfect picture, perfect girl on the box cover and in like the vivid movies. And you never knew, you never had that personal connection with porn stars. There were this unattainable person that, you know, you'd masturbate to, but you would never know. And the internet has completely changed that. And it's been such an interesting, interesting change. And I would say my like goal, like the persona, I don't really have a persona, but you know, I actually avoid looking too fake because Mm. one thing that happens is I have a super high quality camera when I stream and a lot of guys will come in and they're like, is this real? Is this a recording? Like, this is fake. You're an actor. You have, you have good equipment. You have money. Like this is fake. And so I very purposely don't like, overdo the perfect image. Like for example, if I have acne, like I have acne, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like I put on makeup, but I'm, I don't put on enough makeup that you can't see my acne mm-hmm. or a really common tip I get is up close face, super zoomed in. Cause I have a 4k camera and I always joke, like you come here to see my pores, right? Like they mm-hmm. can see like the pores on my face and I don't like always shave perfectly, you know, like whatever. And my hair is always messy and, I, I don't know. And I'm just myself. Like if I start laughing hysterically on cam, I'm not going to like hide my face. Like, or if mm-hmm. I don't, like, I don't know. I just, I don't censor myself on purpose mm. because that in combination with high quality equipment signals fake and they literally will lose interest and leave, leave my chat. Yeah. But when they come in the chat and they're like, Oh my God, you're so funny. You're like, like you make me laugh. You're a real person or you do things that are embarrassing. Sometimes it creates like, they're really there with me. I'm not putting on a persona. I think one of the most interesting things that has come out of this whole, um, you know, camming only fans, this kind of direct connection with fans. And is that at least I've come to see that men don't really aren't after like the picture perfect cookie cutter woman. Um, they, They like to see those flaws that you're talking about. They like to see, who you really are. They like to feel like you're somebody who is a real person that they might, you know, possibly get to know or have a relationship with, whether it be friendship or sexual. So has camming giving you or has sex work in general, how has it shaped your perception of yourself? Mm, I think, well, for my case specifically, when I started sex work, like I said, I was just like floating through life. Like Mm -hmm. I didn't finish my degree. I worked in a coffee shop. Like, I had all these like unfulfilled desires and dreams of like just vague dreams, not even anything concrete. So when I started sex work and then I was immediately successful in what I did, like I reached the goals. I remember a week into camming, I made a hundred dollars in one day and I like freaked out because like that's not normal money for like a girl who works in a coffee shop. (laughs) Like that doesn't surprise me. You are ridiculously good looking. And you have an amazing body. So like, I'm not surprised (laughs) at all. Um, And I have like super imposter syndrome still. Sometimes I remember like years into camming, my partner was like, you know, you're like the best one on Chatterbait, like personality wise. He's like, Mm -hmm. you're literally the best one. Like, why do you not think you can do better? Like, cause I would just kind of like 
every time someone tipped me, I'm like, what the hell? Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, so for me, it was kind of like, I finally got to realize something I worked on and created and had a goal started becoming real. So for me, it was, I very much came into myself. Um, and being age 23, when I started, I was already an adult, but like, there's a whole nother, like what puberty or like level of maturity when you get to mm -hmm. like 25, 26. And mm -hmm. so I went through that on camera in front of a bunch of strangers. Um, and I went through also having money for the first time in my life. So for me, it, it completely changed like my confidence, my sense of self. Also, it gave me like the sense of like, oh, I, I am good at things and I make good decisions. Because mm -hmm. before that, it's like you just have these shitty jobs and you're not in charge of anything. Mm -hmm. So once I was in charge of something that I created and it went well, it was so exciting. And it was just like these vague dreams I had, that was what it was. Yeah. I mean, you definitely, especially with something like camming, where you really are cultivating your own image and you're not working for anybody. Um, there is definitely that ability to control your own brand, control your own look, and really have that financial independence that a lot of people can't get in other jobs. Yeah. And especially like I didn't finish my education and I had a psychology degree. Like I, mm. you can't make a lot of money with an associates in psychology. Yeah. But if you work hard and you enjoy this kind of like online sex work, I think you have a lot more opportunity. What about um, the not so wonderful fans? How do you deal with people who come in? Because I noticed people can also be really cruel in chat rooms. Um, also on social media, we see that a lot. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> YouTube comments. Um, but <laughs> so how do you deal with any kind of negative feedback, shitty people that come into your chat room and say horrible things? And what is like the most common um, thing that you get? Well, honestly, I don't deal with them. Like, like if someone's annoying, like this is probably bad business, but literally if someone's just annoying, like ban, I, I don't care. Like, <laughs> like if they're in my chat and they just say something that like, I'm like, I don't like you as a person ban. <laughs> like there's just, mm -hmm. it's up to me and I don't really deal with bad attitudes and my chat room. I think I, when you have a busy cam room, like it takes a lot of effort to run it and create and cultivate a certain type of chat room because you have to create that environment and allow people in or out that like benefit the environment in your chat. So, so you're like cultivating an audience basically. Yeah. So yeah. like you'll notice certain models, if they let their chat do whatever, it's just going to be full of bullshit every day. And mm -hmm. the guys don't even enjoy being in it. Like it, I also have to make it so my fans feel comfortable talking in the chat. Like, you know, oh, that's a good point. each other. Yeah. Um, so I'm super strict and my chat knows that it does not matter how much you tip me. I, I have banned high tippers in front of everybody. So like, they know, like there's no amount of money that can buy my like patience or whatever. <laughs> so. Oh my God. That's such a great quote. Cause I feel the same way. <laughs> there's no amount of money that can buy my patience. Yeah. I get yeah. very impatient with some people and, and yeah. Um, I, but yeah. And now at this point in the career, after doing it for five years, almost, I feel like I have like a spidey sense, like, certain people will come in the room and like, I just get a vibe and I'm like, Oh, you're, you're going to break a rule in like five minutes. And then they do it. And I'm like, so I very often will ban people like before the chat understands why, mm. like there's just certain vibes or certain characters that come in and I'm just like, no, no, there's something wrong here. And I'm not going to, because then every time I don't, they literally do break a rule within like five, 10 minutes. What are some of the rules? Um, I mean, no dirty talk in chat. I mean, you know, if they accidentally say something, like you can tell when guys are just excited and they're like, oh my God, like, yeah. Um, but you know, no dirty talk and chat, mm, no messaging me privately, like no private requests, um, don't demand things, basic human decency. But one of the biggest things that is always an instant ban is just simply not listening to me. Mm. So if a guy comes in and it's something super benign, like, uh, hey, can I private message you? I'm like, oh, I don't do that on cam. Sorry. Like, no. Mm -hmm. And then can I private message you? I'm like, oh, are you deaf? Like, you might be deaf. And I'll type it and be like, no, no private message. And my mods and my chat will be like, no private messages. She said no. Like, everyone, you know. <laughs> yeah. um, and then if they ask a third time, or even if they ask a second time, but it's, like, kind of demanding, a ban. Like, I don't yeah. care how benign it is. If you yeah. lack, like, either the ability to understand and listen or you're purposely disrespecting even the simplest request, like, ban. I, I don't care. 
it does, it does surprise me how many, uh, fans, members, whatever I'll come across that literally you'll tell them no on this and and they just won't accept that. And And they will, they can go somewhere else (laughs) and they will continue to like ask the same question or push something. You're just like, now you're just pissing me off. Like you're not going to convince me to agree to this. You're just going to make me angry. Well, and like, I'm definitely not agreeing after you push. Like, no, I'm buckling down. Like, I now will never do it ever again. <laughs> like, I'm it's like a great exercise in establishing and respecting people's boundaries. I'm See, just you asked, you asked earlier, like, you know, kind of how has maybe you changed over the years in sex work. I think for a lot of young women who start sex work, it, it completely teaches you how to set and um, maintain boundaries. Mm. And then how to act when someone crosses them because you do it like 50 times a day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. All right, guys, hang tight. We're going to take a quick commercial break and we will be right back. Holly Randall Unfiltered is also brought to you by Like a Kitten. How many times have you gotten your partner flowers and dinner for Valentine's Day? That is getting old. This Valentine's Day, spice things up with Like a Kitten's Couples Box. The Couples Box is a one-stop shop for all your sexy Valentine's Day essentials. Don't waste hours researching lube, erotic games, lingerie, and everything else you need to set the mood. Just grab a Couples Box and you will be set up for one spectacular night. The box has ingredients to heighten all your senses, like delectable chocolate CBD body paint and strawberry lube, a 10-speed heart vibe, a dual arousal cock ring, sexy games, and even gorgeous lingerie. Like a Kitten's mission is to help women own their power in all areas of life. That's why a portion of all sales goes to charities that focus on women's empowerment, education, and health. Right now, Like a Kitten is offering our listeners 20% off and free shipping when you go to likeakitten.com slash holly or enter code holly at checkout. That's likeakitten.com slash holly or enter code holly at checkout welcome back everybody so mary my ears perked up quite a bit when you kind of just casually mentioned that you were sober and anybody who knows me knows that sobriety is a huge part of my life um i had massive struggles with alcohol abuse and i smoked a a ton of weed like we were just talking about um so actually uh, we were discussing before this podcast started the first time that we had met. And that's actually when I shot you with Nicole Aniston. And that was this like day where I just completely broke down. I remember I couldn't stop drinking. I was driving to set. I was sobbing hysterically in the van. I was so embarrassed. I could not pull myself together. I'm normally like very good at like like just being very stoic and kind of shoving all the emotions down. And I pride myself on being professional and showing up and like doing my job and never, you know, canceling because of some emotional overload. And I just like could not stop the waterworks that day. And that was the first time we ever met. And I remember just being mortified. I'm like, this girl's going to think I'm psycho. This is her first time meeting me. And I'm like, I'm not normally like this, but I was having this really awful time. And, um, I'll be sober again three years in July. And this is after I had a seven year sobriety stint. And then I relapsed and had four years where I tried to get sober again. So I'm now on like my second leg. So this is something that I love to talk about because it was such a massive part of my life in terms of um, defining me as a person. And uh, I know that, you know, so I love to talk to other people who also uh, struggled with any kind of substance abuse. So tell us a little bit about your story and, and how you got sober and how that's changed things for you. Yeah. Well, that day I met you, I literally had zero clue. So because I, I, you directed the twisty scene for me and for, for me, <laughs> for everyone. Um, <laughs> no, Mary, no, Mary. It was, it was just, just for you. <laughs> um, but I remember just being like nervous and excited. And I was probably just so blinded by that. I didn't even notice anything was wrong. I'm also like, if someone doesn't tell me something's wrong, I don't always catch on. I don't know. Yeah. I'm just one of those people. (laughs) Um, So I didn't notice anything. I had no idea anything was wrong. Um, If that makes you feel any better. Well, luckily Nicole was the first person in makeup. So, and I've known Nicole forever. And so when I showed up like hysterical, I was kind of like 
relieved that it was, it was her and it wasn't you. And so I like, I had some time to like calm down and pull my shit together before you got there. So, so at least you were spared the absolute hysterics that, um, I showed up in at the beginning, but anyways, um, I'm the most forgiving too of like, you know, bad days. Like it's, you know, as long as the work gets done, I don't care how it has to get done. But, um, for me, I, it's funny because a lot of people are sober, but still smoke weed. Like it's, or a lot of people are sober and they don't consider cannabis like a thing to worry about, but that was my choice. Yeah. I I don't know how I feel about that. Cause I feel like everybody should be able to define, you know, whatever sobriety means for them. And obviously like, I don't have anything against weed. I don't have anything against alcohol. Like, you know, a lot of people can consume it in a responsible manner. I'm just not one of those people. I'm not wired that way. That's what I say is like, I do not care if people like smoke a little weed every night to go to sleep. I cannot do that. I was the type to like wake up, smoke. This is gross. I don't smoke these anymore, but like the blunt wrap with like Mm -hmm. the tobacco wrap and the, that much weed every morning, like as soon as I woke up and I finish it. And then I would take a shower and I, I dabbed as well. So, you know, like the concentrated cannabis dabs, which, okay, that I don't recommend ever. (laughs) I never got a chance to do those. I kind of got sober. Like I really don't recommend it. Like people do it, whatever. I'm not going to judge anyone else. Just uh, me personally, I cannot have like a little bit of anything. Mm-hmm. Um, my issue was cannabis only. Um, but when I got sober from that, I just, I was like, I'm sober from everything. Just cause like, I didn't want to like exchange addictions. You know what I mean? Which like, is so. Yeah. Um, and I'm not a drinker. Like I drink I used to drink like maybe a few times a year because I'm literally every time I drink my entire life, it's like one drink completely drunk. Like there's no, Mm. I'm like super sensitive. So when I quit smoking cannabis, I was like, let's just go full sober. It did help my partner is sober and was sober when I met him. And I got sober maybe two years after meeting him. So Mm. he's been sober for years before me. And then, you know, dating me with my constant weed smoking, he just didn't say anything. (laughs) But eventually I went to him and was like, I need to quit, but like, I don't feel good. I can't quit. Like if I don't smoke weed, I like get nauseous, you know, like you can't just, it's really actually hard, which is, this is why I, I do kind of disagree when people say cannabis isn't addicting. Cause like I had horrible withdrawal symptoms when mm-hmm. I tried to stop smoking. Um, and granted I smoked way too much, like completely unreasonable amount. And I worked in dispensaries before I started doing sex work. So I had like, you know, employee discounts and like ex-employee discounts. So, you know, I had too much access to it, but Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know. I just, people will often ask me why I chose to quit because cannabis, like I said, a lot of people don't think it's that big of a deal, but I just could not live the life I wanted to live and smoke weed. Mm. Like that was just impossible. And it was like, I want to achieve more than like this cap that I somehow set for myself because I'm high all the time. And I never felt high anymore, you know, cause like I smoked every day. Yep. So like yeah. it was normal. Um, and it was a huge process. Like, I don't know if it's just me, like I'm sensitive or if I really smoked that much cannabis, but quitting, it took me like a year to feel like I no longer was affected by cannabis mm-hmm. and other people who con- I have had models contact me. Like I want to quit smoking weed, but like I'm embarrassed to talk about it. Cause it's like, people just think it's silly. Like, people tell me to smoke weed all the time. (laughs) Like if I'm like, Mm -hmm. I can't sleep, they're like smoke weed. Um, So I've had models come to me and I tell them like, you're going to feel great, but you won't feel normal for like a year. Mm -hmm. um, If you've been a heavy smoker. Um, So I went through that entire process, like on camera, basically on the internet, because I, (laughs) it'd be nice maybe if I had a fake persona for my job, but that's impossible. I have no filter and I'm, have no ability to keep anything secret. <laughs> yeah. So, God, that must've been yeah. so difficult to go through that, like on cam, because, you know, even though you say you're like very much who you are, you're still like performing in a way. Right. I, I didn't really perform for a while. I did log on camera on Chatterbait, but I don't think I did a sexual show for a year straight. Oh, like, wow. right in the middle of my career. And I don't wow. know how, like, this is also why models will hit me up and be like, do I have to do like anal? And I'm like, no, I didn't do like, I didn't show my vagina for like a year once. <laughs> like, yeah. And I still did like, you know, if someone 
if I felt good that day, I'd put on like, you know, oh, well, I'll shake my butt for you. Like I still did sexual things, but mm-hmm. I didn't do like an actual come show with goals for like almost a year on cam. Wow. And that was the year after I got sober. Um, I went through a really long process of trying. So I, I couldn't quit weed on my own. I went to my doctor and I straight up was like, I can't stop smoking weed. <laughs> and they were like, mm-hmm. okay, we're going to put you in. Um, they had like these group therapy classes that they put me in for like free, like covered under insurance. And I, mm-hmm. I took it like free therapy, like absolutely. Mm-hmm. So I went through like uh, sober therapy classes, group therapy. And I went, I went to NA for a short time. Um, and I didn't like talk much, but I sat there and I took everything in because also when you go to NA for cannabis, like everyone's there for like, they just, you know, I had a friend who had gotten sober from Dilaudid and I was like, wait, you know, like I'm not struggling that much, thank God. But like, it, it definitely put things in perspective that like I could handle like the issues that I had. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got put on multiple like anxiety medications instead of weed. So I did mm-hmm. a switch. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, after like a year, slowly started changing meds, trying to wean off. I was on gabapentin for almost a year, which is super sedating. Um, but I had so much anxiety and I went through all this on camera. Like my cam shows, I would, I would get online and I would do my makeup and I would talk and I would eat dinner with my fans. And then I'd like log off after four hours, but I just did that every night instead. Um, mm. And they loved it. Like I maintained all my fans. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, that's the, I mean, that's really like the people that stuck with you through that. I think that's a a wonderful Testament to how much people really, you know, enjoy camming for that, that human connection rather than, you know, necessarily seeing you masturbate. And that's something that I think has revolutionized the adult industry is that it's not just about sex. It's about that personal connection. And I've always been super, probably too open with my fans. Like, like even now, um, I am so excited because I started ADHD medication like uh, almost two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've had ADHD all my life, but I've never, you know, been medicated for it. And I get on camera and I'm like, I started Stratera today. <laughs> like- <laughs> I saw you make that tweet. And I have a friend who has ADHD and who's been like, she keeps complaining that she needs to take it, but she's like, she's not doing it. And I'm just like, yeah do it. And so when you, when you tweeted that, I was almost like, look, Mary started it and it's working for her. Yeah. It's just like, it's just also a sign of like, I can't keep anything in. Cause also like my fans notice changes in my personality or mm-hmm. like I, it's funny cause the ADHD medicine it's up and down. I just started. So I have to like test it out, whatever. Um, but I accidentally was early for cam like an hour early. Cause like, you know, my brain works better now. And I just logged on and I was like, I don't know, I guess it's working. <laughs> Because I can't, like, if I had logged on early and not said anything, they'd be like, are you, are you okay? Like, why are you here at 3 p.m.? Like, like, I can't hide, you know, the changes in my life. So like, and I don't want to like make up a million excuses that I won't remember. I know. Lying is really difficult. You have to keep track of the lies. That's the problem. No. The only thing I can keep secret is like, you know, using a fake name or, you know, like normal safety things. But yeah, I, yeah. So they know everything. And then. I do. There is like a, what happens often. And also why, when I started getting sober at first, I was like, you know, kind of shy about it. Like I didn't want to be like, Oh, I'm, I have a horrible problem with weed and it's embarrassing, you know? Um, but when I did start talking about it, a lot of people came to me like fans being like, Oh, I love being in your room because you're sober. And like, I want to be sober. Mm-hmm. Or I have guys tell me they have 20 years sober. Mm-hmm. like you know a lot of my fans are older and they'll be like I have 30 years and I'm like oh my god like so being like vulnerable and open to the point of like you know I never risk my safety or maybe I do who knows but um you know like being open about everything I'm comfortable being open with so many people come to me with like the same stories and then they just love being able to share that with me mm-hmm. yeah it's actually really incredible when you come out about struggling with sobriety or, or being sober, how all these other sober people kind of come out of the woodwork. Cause it's not mm-hmm. usually something that people necessarily advertise too much. But I remember when I first got sober, my, my first stint back in 2008, um, 
And I remember telling my therapist, I'm like, I can't get sober. Nobody in the adult industry is sober. I'm going to be the only one. Like, you know, I had to go to AVN that year and I'm like, all these people are going to be drinking and I'm going to, you know, this just isn't going to work for like the lifestyle of the career that I have. And then it's a long story, which I won't get into because it's boring, but basically um, I went to rehab and it was like leaked on a popular blog that I was in rehab. And it was actually, uh, XBiz had just hired me to write a column for them, a monthly column for them. And so my very first article was about my drinking problem and how I <laughs> rehab. Cause I was like, well, everybody knows about it. It's, you know, they say, write about what you know. And I could not believe the people that came to me after that was published to say like, you know, you were so brave for coming out and I'm sober too. I've been sober for this long. I've been sober for this long. People that I really respected in the industry that, you know, were big, big players and had been sober for like 20 years. I was just like, holy shit. Like there's sober people everywhere. And, um, so many people were willing to, you know, reach out a hand to me. And it was just, uh, it's a really wonderful and, and surprising experience. So yeah, it's, it's always really cool because, you know, there's a lot of sober people out there. Um, you just kind of have to like, you know, open your eyes. Oh yeah. I feel like I know like a secret network, like yeah, I have like a totally. secret list in my head of everyone I know who's ever told me that they're sober or trying to be sober. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I know for, you mentioned going to AVN every year before AVN, not this year, obviously. Um, I usually tweet something like, Hey, by the way, I'm completely sober. If you see mm-hmm. me at a party, you can come be sober with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because that helps because I still go to all the events. Yeah. Um, so it really helps to be able to find the sober person in the room if you're like kind of struggling or you're like mm-hmm. kind of worried about like, am I going to be awkward because I can't drink? Um, mm-hmm. So I actually announce my sober sobriety every AVN. Like, yeah. Hey, if you find me, I'm a sober person and I'll probably be at most of the events, you know. There's also uh, like secret and uh AA meetings at AVN. Yeah, I've never gone, but I think that's one of the first times I ever heard about Lance Hart because I mm-hmm. didn't know a lot of pro porn, but he like announced on Twitter, like, hey, I do a sobriety secret meeting, whatever. And so I followed him. And then, of course, love his career, love that he's sober. Like, I, I like having my little sober idols, you know, people who are mm-hmm. super successful and then also like pro- promote sobriety. So, yeah, yeah. All right, guys, hang tight. We are going to take one last commercial break and then we are going to come back and we are going to talk about Pornhub. So hang tight. Holly Randall Unfiltered is brought to you by Care of Vitamins. Care of is a wellness brand that makes it easy to maintain your health goals with a customized vitamin plan that helps you feel your best today and supports you long term. February can still be your fresh start to the new year, and your resolutions don't have to be vague. Small, impactful changes are just as important, like adding a daily vitamin to help support your energy, sleep, or fitness to target those goals, whether in the short or long term. Care of is high quality products, meets personalization. To find out the supplements that you need in your life, just visit TakeCareOf.com and take their short five-minute quiz. It's like getting a one-on-one consultation with a nutritionist without leaving your house. Follow Care-of's expert recommendations or adjust your pack at any time. What you receive is totally up to you and easily delay your order if you fall behind. For 50% off your first order, go to TakeCareOf and enter code HOLLY50. That's TakeCareOf.com and enter code HOLLY50. Welcome back, everybody. So, Mary, one of the things that we have been talking about a lot on social media and elsewhere is the new, what I call the Pornhub Dilemma. And, um, for those of you who don't know, there was a very explosive article in the New York times that came out, um, called the children of Pornhub, which was very, I I liked Gustavo called it emotional pornography. Basically, you know, it really like kind of appealed to people's fear around sex, around child pornography, around, you know, all of these like truly horrible things that um, are pervasive in our society, but really kind of landed all of it at the doorstep of Pornhub, which caused Visa and MasterCard to 
pull their payment processing from Pornhub, which has affected sex workers' financial income dramatically. So can you tell us a little bit about your experience with that and and why you're so adamant about people understanding like what's really going on here and that it's, it's so much more than the way that, um, who is it? Christoph? Nick Christoph. Nick Christoph has painted it in his New York times article. Yeah. So maybe to summarize a little bit, um, there is a anti-porn religious group. They're also anti-LGBTQ, you know, anti-women's right, you know, like they're very religious group. Um, and they went to Nick Kristoff and they somehow worked with him to write this op-ed for the New York times. Um, Nick Kristoff, I don't think he cares personally about the consequences of consequences of his writings. Um, because what he did is he published religious propaganda. Um, it's not a, a lot of the information is not factual. Um, I read it when it came out, but I, I feel like I've blocked out the sentences because I was so annoyed <laughs> reading it. But um, basically, and then that op-ed got so much attention and publicity um, that Visa and MasterCard and Discover Card, I believe, decided to disallow payments on Pornhub, meaning I can't go buy a verified adult worker's homemade movies on Pornhub right now. And I haven't mm-hmm. since uh, December 12th was the day that it cut off. Um, so me personally, I've lost thousands of dollars just by not being able to use a huge platform. Um, and <laughs> Visa disallowing me to buy porn on Pornhub only affects verified adult creators. Cause in order to sell a video on Pornhub, I sign tax documents and I send in a photo of my ID. I send in photos of myself. And then I go through the action of lovingly creating my beautiful porn and then I upload it and I set a price. Um, so me doing all that, you're not allowed to buy that now on Pornhub because Visa, MasterCard and Discover decided that a religious group's issues with it are more valid than, I mean, how many models are on Pornhub? Hundreds of thousands of adult consensual workers. Mm. Um, and yeah. right before the holidays, right before that pay, that last paycheck of the year. In a pandemic. In a pandemic. And I guarantee you, some people probably picked up Pornhub work during the pandemic. Like, you know, we yeah. kind of need that money more than maybe we would have last year or the year before. Yeah. yeah. And this uh, religious organization, we're talking, about, we're talking about Exodus Cry, right? Yeah. I like don't say their name. <laughs> <laughs> like he, should, just, he shall not be named. Uh, I like don't say their name because, you know, if you mention them on Twitter, they, they're... Uh, the little fans will find you and start commenting on all your tweets. Um, they, in my opinion, they have a very beautifully perfect manufactured narrative that is really hard to deny mm-hmm. because it's, Oh, what you don't, you don't care about victims of child abuse. Like, no, we right. all care about victims of child abuse. And honestly, porn stars probably take more action than the average person to avoid that content ever being available or even our content reaching children, like our, you know, mm-hmm. consensual work. Right. Like, everything's behind paywalls and, you know, I do my best to protect it. Right. Yeah. We're, we're big advocates of what we call the 2057, which is age verification. Yes. And I can tell you from personal experience uh, through my parents dealing with the Tracy Lord scandal, where an underage um, porn star came out that a very popular porn star was underage and um, she had used she used fake IDs to um, basically get work in the adult industries. And my parents almost went to jail because of that. And my parents yeah. had no honest knowledge of the fact that she was underage. She actually used a fake birth uh, sorry a real birth certificate that wasn't her. It was uh, somebody she knew to get a real driver's license. My parents were actually presented with a real government issued ID. So how they could have possibly known that, that, that she wasn't of age is impossible. Yeah. And that's one of those like crazy one in a million. Yeah. But, but, but that story is why the, that whole debacle and like so many people almost going to jail over it and the way that it shook the adult industry. Um, We can kind of thank Tracy Lords in a way because she really made the adult industry be very serious about 
um, IDs. If you do hardcore, you have to present two government issued IDs, not just one. I bring just my driver's license card to, to say. Yeah, yeah. Just a driver's license is not good enough. You have to sign all this paperwork verifying your age. Um, you have to hold your IDs up to your face to prove that like you are saying this is you. So this, the, the instances of child porn that were uploaded to Pornhub were uploaded from unverified accounts. Yes. Um, Pornhub is a user platform, much like Twitter, much like YouTube, much like Facebook, where basically anybody could sign up and they could upload whatever videos they wanted. And when you've got millions and millions of videos, um, it's kind of no surprise that you're going to have some nefarious characters who are going to upload illegal videos that should not be on the platform. Um, But, you know, inadvertently what happened is that this decision by Visa MasterCard Discover has affected all the verified platforms, all the verified users who make a big chunk of their income off of Pornhub. And uh, Pornhub has since then deleted all of the unverified um, users, which uh, is is good for for all of us. Um, you really, when you're uploading porn, you really you need to be careful about who's doing it. Like you know, they they should be verified. But unfortunately, it was too late, and um, you know, now we're we're and we're what end of January. And they're yeah. still in the same predicament. I haven't heard anything about anything. I would assume that there are many lawyers having many discussions that none of us are privy to. And that's right. Why. And I would, I, I'm not surprised that Pornhub would not make an, a statement on what's going on because I'm sure it's some sort of legal battle. Um, and that's my assumption. I don't know anything. But uh, one thing to note about the fact that uh, the abbreviation they often use is CSAM, Child Sexual Abuse Material. Mm-hmm. Um every website that has an, a video upload button or even any upload button for media has that content on the website. And it is yeah. not due to anything the website has done. Um, it is due to abusers wanting to share their evidence. Um, and this was quoted, uh, I could find the exact study and I don't have the exact numbers, but during there was an independent research company that researched child sexual abuse material on different platforms. Um, on Pornhub, there is 118 instances, I believe, reported in a three-year period. Facebook had over 80 million reported in that uh, three-year period. Yeah. So if the, if Visa or this religious group really was like, we need to, you know, save victims and not have any of this abuse material online, Pornhub is actually one of the safer platforms. We, we have less of it on Pornhub. Adult, as well as adult sites are held to a much higher standard when it comes to monitoring the content on their site. Um, I don't know why, like, no one is looking at Facebook or not that I think every site should be, you know, restricted excessively, but adult sites are actually the least likely place to find this material. Right. I mean, it just goes to show that this is an issue that plagues any user generated platform, right? Yeah. And it it is, you know, and it is, it is a problem. And obviously, like, nobody here is advocating for um, child exploitation is a terrible thing. And, and none of us want to see that. But the way that um, people react to those cases on Pornhub and the way that you can make such an incredibly influential article based around that versus anything like that happening on Facebook or Twitter just kind of goes to show, you know, the extreme stigma that the adult industry faces. Yeah. And, you know, people are always looking for a reason to come down on porn. And and that was the perfect excuse. Like I said, it's like a perfectly crafted narrative that no one can deny. Like, right. And I often feel like the porn industry is how you say, like the canary in a coal mine for Mm. um, restrictions of free speech. Mm -hmm. So I do not think these things are unrelated uh, to what was it? The Merkley SAS bill introduced to modify section 230. Like mm-hmm. that bill didn't is currently, you know, not being talked about because the what 116th Congress just ended and mm-hmm. we're waiting to see if it's reintroduced in the 117th. Mm-hmm. But those things are not unrelated in my opinion. Um, and I think the porn industry or sex workers are often the first affected by things like SESTA-FOSTA. And then, you know, it trickles out to the rest of, you know, the world. 
Yeah. Um, so I wouldn't, I don't think this issue is necessarily, because a lot of, a lot of performers have asked me, you know, well, why, why are you defending Pornhub? And I'm like, I'm not. Pornhub could disappear tomorrow, you know, for all I care, but I care about the precedent it sets and section 230. Yeah. And then, so section 230 is, it's what limits a um, liability with respect to third-party content, right? So basically it protects like user-generated platforms from what users might upload to the platform, correct? Yeah, I don't remember the exact wording. It's literally like a sentence or two, but it just says something to the effect of Facebook is not liable for what I upload on Facebook. I'm liable correct. for what I put on Facebook. You know, like if I put something illegal, that's that's my fault, you know? Right, um, right, right. So modifications to this have huge implications for not only sex work, but just like, what you're allowed to post on the internet. Right. Very very important. (laughs) Yeah. It's, uh, it's, these are crazy times we're living in. And it's interesting too, because the people that are behind, um, the, uh, the, uh, abolishing section 230 is, um, NCOSE, which is morality and media rebranded as the, um, National Center on Exploita- on Sexual Exploitation, which actually sounds just like the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, which is actually completely unrelated. Yeah. But a lot of people associate, the, they do a lot of work around, um, you know, sex trafficking and human trafficking and, and missing children. And, and, and so this sounds, I think a lot of people get the two confused. Yeah, and I bet that's not accidental. Uh, no, not at all. Because when you're a religious extremist group, you're going to do everything you can to verify. I, you know, it's funny. I have a personal, you asked about my, my, I don't know, like upbringing and introduction to porn. I forgot to mention that my mother grew up in a Christian child bride cult in Arkansas. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so I have a very, <laughs> I have a very personal issue with extremist religious hate groups who, you know, do everything they can to legitimize themselves and make average people not understand where they're really coming from. Mm-hmm. And these groups like Exodus Cry or Inkosi, they want all porn gone. They yeah. do not think that I can consent to having porn filmed to myself. They don't right. think I have that right. And I shouldn't. Um, so this is not just a, you know, ooh, porn have bad. This is a, we want all porn up, taken away. Right. What do you say to people who, suggest that all women are degraded by doing porn? Um, I usually say something stupid in return. Like I'm not a victim of porn. I'm a victim of capitalism. I have to work for a living. (laughs) That's so true. Like, yeah, you're right. I am a victim of having to pay bills. (laughs) um, And honestly, I love my job. Like I am, there's, there's days I don't want to do my job. And those are days when I would rather play video games instead of edit videos but overall, I absolutely enjoy my work and love it. And I I never have felt like a victim at all when it comes to the porn industry, um, especially because the way I started was streaming myself online. Like I didn't have a boss. No one was there to tell me to do anything. Um, yeah. And I don't do a lot of things like I, I do exactly what I want on camera. Um, so I've never once felt like a victim of this industry or sex work. Um, but I do have to work for a living. <laughs> Yeah. It's a bummer. Um, yeah. I mean, now has been, there's been no better time to get really in, get into sex work than now. I mean, people have never had the control over their careers and the way that they do now and the, the singular purpose of agency and the independence to really craft their career in the way that they want it. Like models have never had so much independence and so much power. Oh yeah. And so, you know, this idea that all women, especially women, this is the thing that makes me crazy as well, is that it's, it's always people advocating for, you know, the victimization of women. You never hear that about men. And it just plays into that old, like, you know, sexist stigma that women, um, you know, first of all, can't be sexual creatures and, uh, they are victims of everything and they can't make their own decisions. And, you know, everything that 
they do that is sexual has to be fueled by some kind of traumatic experience or some pimp boyfriend. Whereas if a man follows that route, it's because he's like a stud and, you know, men are, uh, men have agency and they can make these decisions responsibly, but women can't. And that's, that's what makes me like really angry. Well, and what's funny is if I'm a victim of pornography in a gay scene where it's two guys, which one's Mm -hmm. the victim? Right. Like, are, are they victimizing each other or are they just having sex for fun on camera? Well, they cancel each other out because they're both men. And yeah. So wait, they're... who's, if we're all victims, like what about gay porn? Yeah. <laughs> That's interesting, actually. Um, in the New York Times article, did they, did they talk about any male victims of uh, no, trafficking? No, not, not that I know of. Um, but I mean, I don't know every uh, person or I don't know every story they've shared but not that I've seen. I will say uh, for those of you who want to learn more about this, you should join my Patreon and watch my exclusive interview with Gustavo Turner, who has done a ton of research on um, this very topic that we're discussing. And he really kind of lays out all the facts. That man is like a information machine. And um, he explains it in a way that I think will give you so much more information than, than even we can share right here because there's a lot to it. So not to plug my Patreon, but if you go to patreon.com slash Holly Randall unfiltered, um, check out my interview with Gustavo because it's a, it's a really good one. Yeah. Gustavo is probably one of my favorite people because like every time something like this political comes up, kind of like an attack on two thirty or this religious extremist group trying to ban porn, he is right there with like the entire history and information written down already. And, and every time something comes up, he's right away tweeting about it and sharing information. So yeah, um, he's, yeah, I'm he's very him. much Thank you. an advocate for, for free speech and yeah. for sex worker rights. And he's, he's all up in there. He's a great, great journalist. Um, you can also check him out at xbiz.com as well. And you can see all of his articles there. Mary, thank you so much for coming on. It was such a pleasure to have you. Um, I hope that, uh, you were sufficiently underwhelmed by (laughs) this interview. Everything I dreamed of. (laughs) (laughs) Can you tell everybody where they can find you online, please? Absolutely. So I'm Mary Moody. I do have a website. It just has all my links and information. It's marymoody.tv. Uh, please check me out. I am on so many platforms and have so much to share. And I tweet, you know, 20 times a day. So maybe follow me on Twitter too. <laughs> Miss Mary Moody, M-I-S-S, Mary Moody. Fantastic. And you guys can follow me at Holly Randall on Instagram and on Twitter. Also join my aforementioned Patreon for not only access to exclusive interviews like the one I did with Gustavo, but Mary and I are going to do a quick Q&A after this episode where she answers fan questions. And you can get that only at patreon.com slash Holly Randall Unfiltered. So make sure that you join. Thank you guys so much for being here and we'll see you next week. Thank you so much for listening. If you love my show and want to support it, I ask that you take the time to rate and review my podcast. Now, if you're not sure how to do that, you can go to ratethispodcast.com slash HRU, and you'll automatically be directed to the various podcast apps your device supports, and then be led to the place where you can rate my show. Five stars, of course, and leave your glowing review. Okay, it doesn't have to be glowing, but you know, say something nice. You can also financially support this show through my Patreon by visiting patreon.com slash hollyrandallunfiltered, where you get so many perks for your support. Things such as early releases and live recordings of my interviews, merchandise such as stickers, mugs, and hoodies, autographed copies of my photography books, free access to my private Snapchat and not-safe-for-work website hollyrandall.com, and my bonus podcast, My LA Porn Life. Also, join my Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash hollyrandallunfiltered, and you can watch the video versions of these interviews at youtube.com slash hollyrandallunfiltered. Oh, and of course, sign up for my newsletter at hollyrandallunfiltered.com and get all the info on upcoming guests and special projects. Again, thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for supporting my podcast in whatever way that you can. <laughs>